Let's take about three deep breaths. So our awareness might be open to recognize the presence of the Spirit in us, with us, and among us. And let us now worship in beloved community. Would you join me in our call to worship? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We gather seeking wisdom and a spirit. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We gather knowing we may be surprised. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I want to welcome you to worship with Westminster. However you have found us, whenever you might be watching with us, it is good to be with you virtually. Will you please join with me now in our community prayer? Let us pray. Gracious God, you have sent us teachers, prophets, healers, many sorts of messengers of your way. You sent us Jesus, in whom we have seen the fullness of you dwell. Through your messengers and through your spirit, you have given us many tools to use in this world faithfully. However, even the best tools can be misused. Positivity can overlook injustice or calamity. Prayer can become a substitute for action. Forgiveness can become license for abuse. Accompany us as we examine some of our favorite tools that we might grow in wisdom and faith. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that in Christ we are forgiven. We're going to hear more about that even later in this service. In Christ we are forgiven. We are made new. We are set free. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now this is the third Sunday of the month, so it is Birthday Blessing Sunday. If you have a birthday in April, happy birthday! Knowing that it is Earth Day a little later this week, I wanted to read you a poem today about creation, a poem that celebrates the Earth. And one of my favorite poets who does that is Mary Oliver. So I actually chose this poem based on the title alone. The title is The Lover of Earth, cannot help herself. So listen to these words of Mary Oliver. In summer, through the fields of wild mustard, then goldenrod, I walk, brushing the wicks of their bodies and the bright hair of their heads. And in fact, 
I lie down that the little weightless pieces of gold may float over me, shining in the air, falling in my hair, touching my face. Ah, sweet-smelling, glossy and colorful world, I say. Even as I begin to feel my left eye, then the right eye begin to burn, and twitch and grow very large, even as I begin to weep, to sneeze in this irrepressible seizure of summer love. I love at the end that she acknowledges, though the outdoors is wonderful, it also is allergy season right now, but my hope, my prayer for you in this year ahead is that you may get outside, that you may delight in God's creation, for surely it is a delight. So happy birthday to each and every one of you. Now receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. And now as we move into our time of sharing of joys and concerns, if you're watching with us on Facebook, I invite you to type right into that comment section the joys and the concerns that are on your heart and mind right now. If you'd like to be in touch with one of the staff this week, please go ahead and do that so we can be in prayer together. So I invite us into a few moments of quiet prayer so you can pray about that which is on your heart right now, and then I'll lead us in prayer together. So let us pray. Loving God, for all the ways you walk with us through this life, we give you thanks. When we spend the day consumed with doubt or fear, you offer us hope. When we turn our hearts into deserts of bitterness, you transform them into oases of joy. When we come up with all sorts of rules for those who are seeking to find you, you tear up that list, stretching your arms wide in welcoming grace. Holy One, as you are all to us, so we offer all we are to you. As together we pray as Jesus taught us, saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
I'm here at my house for the time of discovery because I want to do a little experiment that I had supplies for at the house. So I have this, which is this little capsule, and I have this, a glass of water. So I'm going to put the capsule in the water and we'll just let it sit there and we'll see what happens. So while we wait for that to do something, hopefully it'll do something, I wanna let you know that we've begun a new Sunday School series all about creation, all about what is outside the doors and windows of our houses. I hope that you've had some time to get out into creation recently. It's full of wonder and awe, things that just make you go, wow, things of beauty, things that are curious. And so in our Sunday School lessons for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking specifically about water, all the ways that water is part of our lives. Last week, we gave thanks for water and the many ways that water helps keep us alive. And this week, we're going to be in awe of water. I'm going to help my experiment a little bit. My experiment's not working as I would like it to, but maybe I just need to be patient. So anyway, water also brings awe and wonder. Have you ever been to the ocean and just spent some time watching the waves or maybe playing in the waves? So powerful, so beautiful. Or I love, after it rains, to go for a hike, maybe up on Mount Ham, and to watch some of the streams come down from the mountain and just bubble and flow along the rocks and the tree branches. So beautiful. It just fills me with awe. Now, there's an author, Anne Lamont, who once said that her favorite prayers are help, thanks, and wow. So last week in Sunday School, we focused on thanks, this week we focus on wow. God does so many wow things in our lives that sometimes that's our prayer. Wow, God, wow. You know what's not wow? This experiment that I'm trying to do. It is not wowing me at all, so I think I'm gonna have to help it along here. I need to encourage it to do its wow thing. You can't see, but I'm actually spilling water all over my floor right now. Hmm. Well, so what was supposed to happen is that this capsule was supposed to break open and it was supposed to turn into this foam animal. That's what the box told me it was going to do. Doesn't quite seem to be doing that, but that's okay. Even though we didn't have a wow moment with this foam animal, we can still have wow moments when we go outside. Oh, something's happening. Hold on a second. Maybe we will have our wow moment. I got to bring this up more into the camera. See how the capsule has opened up? And now we have some sort of creature here. I'm going to hold it up to the camera and you help me decide what creature this is. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea, but it's some sort of creature. Wow. Okay. Maybe not the wow moment I was expecting, but I'm going to go outside this week and find some water, maybe at the ocean, maybe a beautiful, pretty lake. I'm going to go, wow, God, wow. Your creation is beautiful. 
Be sure to check out our Sunday School lessons on Westminster's YouTube channel. Our first scripture reading today comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 5. Please listen to what the Spirit may be saying to us. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the Israelites. When a man or a woman wrongs another, breaking faith with the Lord, that person incurs guilt and shall confess the sin that has been committed. The person shall make full restitution for the wrong, adding one-fifth to it and giving it to the one who was wronged. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The second reading comes from Matthew's Gospel, the 18th chapter, verses 21 to 22. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to us right here and right now. Then Peter came to Jesus and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. What do we do with forgiveness? What do you mean, you might say? You're making it out to sound as if forgiveness is a problem. Well, I don't believe forgiveness to be a problem. But neither do I believe it to be the solution. Today I'm beginning a sermon series on what I'm calling so-called Christian values. Because I believe that sometimes the values we hold so dear, we don't understand so well. And sometimes as a result, we can do harm to the very things that we think are there to help and heal and bless. And today, forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is something that I think even the most nominal of Christians would associate with the faith. For that matter, those outside of Christianity would likely associate with Christianity. Most people know that Jesus seemed to teach forgiveness, and boy, did he teach forgiveness. Peter asks him, as many as seven times should I forgive? And Jesus says 77 times. Or your Bible might read 70 times seven. The matter is somewhat disputed, but the point is the same. A lot is the answer. And it's rooted in sevens because seven is the holy number of completion. So Jesus is making quite a statement here. You could even argue that forgiveness occupies a somewhat sacred place in our rather secular society. Stanford psychologist and founder of the Forgiveness Project's Fred Luskin speaks passionately about the necessity of forgiveness, the importance of it. He doesn't come to it through any sense of religious piety or obligation. Rather, it's merely a matter of practicality for him. Luskin, who's not just talking about between two individuals in a relationship challenge, 
He's worked in terribly conflicted places around the world, places such as Northern Ireland, but he stands by the importance of forgiveness because he says quite simply, it allows a fresh start. Because otherwise, if you stay stuck in the past, there's this, what he calls residual bitterness that affects our capacity for happiness. Luskin is a brilliant man. And yet one time when I heard him speak, I was in a conversation with a woman afterwards who said in so many words, I don't buy it. And I asked her to tell me more. And what she went on to describe was a life in which she'd been exploited or abused time and again by men. And she carried with her this expectation, this burden, this mandate handed to her by the church to forgive again and again and again. But forgiveness did not give her a fresh start. It locked her in to that cycle of trauma. It created the residual bitterness. Similarly, following the Charleston church shootings that you may well remember, AME church, black congregation, white man enters, kills a number of people at a Bible study. The media and the culture lauds the forgiveness immediately offered by some of the survivors and members of that church, just as they did following the Amish shooting. <clears throat> excuse me, from a number of years before. Now, I want to be clear. I'm in no position to question anyone who's been through something like that, who wants to grant forgiveness. That's their conviction. It is their right. But what my colleague said and what other black voices started to say after that shooting and our response to some of the forgiveness granted was we needed to be careful because every time we hold up a story in that fashion, what we essentially do is send the message to black people that your role in this society is to receive our violence with grace and forgive us in return and move on without changing anything, without having us change anything. And that's dangerous for the psyche of any person or any people. It's complicated, you see, this value that we thought we understood. Well, I came across a dialogue that I found rather helpful between a Lutheran pastor and author, Nadia Boltz Weber, and a Jewish rabbi and author, Danya Ruttenberg. And hearing these two women wrestle with this complex issue in its complexity helped move me along as I sought to understand this more deeply. In their conversation, Rabbi Ruttenberg, in very plain English, pointed us to and, and, and really walked through the writings and teachings of Moses Maimonides, the great Jewish thinker of the 12th century. And Maimonides said that in instances where harm is caused, there are really five steps to making it right. Repentance is the word, if you want to use the theological term. I think we can display them up for you here on the screen, but I will walk you through them. 
First, she said, is you have to acknowledge the harm you've done. But you have to acknowledge it in at least as public a venue as the venue in which the offense was committed. So, for example, if you hurt someone in the context of a meeting of a few people, it's not good enough to later upon reflection pull them aside and apologize privately or, or send them a note. No. You need to own your behavior in their presence and in the presence of the wider community, at least as many people who saw you commit the offense. Secondly, you have to begin the work of actual transformation. It's not enough to just own up to it and move on if it doesn't take root in you and cause meaningful change. And so you have to do the work to better yourself. Maimonides says this work is so deep that it might lead you to want to do something as dramatic as change your very name because you will be becoming a new person. Ruttenberg says we might use modern practices to help with that. Therapy, rehab, any process that helps you really become someone new. Now, steps three and four go together. Three is you have to make amends, material amends. Say you've hurt someone, you've damaged property, you should pay for what you've done. You pay the medical bills and maybe some on top for other inconvenience or harm you've caused. You pay for repairs and anything else over and above to try to make things right. And then and only then, step four, do you apologize? You don't apologize at the beginning. It means nothing. It's hollow. You apologize once you've acknowledged it in an appropriate setting. You've done the work. You've begun to do the work. You've made amends. Then you apologize. We all know what a hollow apology feels like. Parents will recognize this because our children learn from a very young age that when they get in trouble, to just apologize. But if you ask a child what they're apologizing for, sometimes they can't even articulate it. It means nothing. Only when you've done those other pieces are you in a position to apologize. And then, step five. This is the test. This is what shows whether any of this has worked. When you're put in this position to do the same hurtful thing again, you choose differently. You're in that meeting, someone says, uh, a racist comment, even subtly so, the first time you let it slide. Then you go through and you do all the work, and next time when that happens, you respond differently and you call it out. Only then do we know that the transformation has taken place. What about forgiveness? It's not in there. And Ruttenberg says forgiveness is an entirely separate matter altogether. And furthermore, she says, sometimes it comes and sometimes it doesn't. In this sense, this model is very victim-centered. The victim gets to decide, not the perpetrator or the teacher, when and how forgiveness is offered. Now bracket for a moment all the things we've been taught as Christians about how we must forgive. Doesn't that square 
pretty well with our lived experience that sometimes we're quite able to forgive, particularly when we've seen the earnestness of the other trying to make it right. Other times it rises to a level where we just can't quite, quite get there, even though we feel as though we should. I mean, tell the abuser, I'm, excuse me, tell the abused that they should forgive 77 times. Don't do that. Because if you do, you're becoming the 78th abuser. Still, this Christian impulse, we can't leave it bracketed forever, this teaching. It's central to who we are, it seems. The other day, someone came and borrowed a book from me, which you're always welcome to do, by the way. Take out a book, not just from the church's library, but from my own personal library. And when I went to log the book, because I created this log where I kind of keep track of who's got what. Okay, well, I don't really keep track, but I started a log one day and I decided, well, I'm gonna do it this time. So I opened it up, this document created years ago. There was only one other entry. Every other time I've just let books come and go. But it was interesting because the only other entry in that log was the book by Desmond Tutu, No Future Without Forgiveness. As you can imagine, it was about the journey from apartheid to a more free society in South Africa. And as you may well know, forgiveness was a key tool in that project. And I think Christians approach many things with the assumption that there is no future without forgiveness in all moments at all times. But that's only half the story. We're only half right when we say there's no future without forgiveness. Because we easily forget that the very commission that shepherded a country from that form of oppressive separation to a more free and open and equal society, that commission was called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. We love the reconciliation, we forget about the truth. And the process that got them through that time, saving a lot of blood that could have been spilled, had at its center truth-telling. People who had been hurt by that system were invited to come to an official place, a safe place, and tell the stories, tell the truth of what had been done to them and their families for generations. And the people who perpetrated that violence upon them or upheld the system that had done that for generations sat there and listened. And yes, they were then granted amnesty, but only after the victims told the truth and the victims granted it. They were in real terms forgiven, but only after the truth, the work, had been done and accepted. Okay, but what do we do about our beloved Jesus? Jesus, who is the one who calls us together as people of faith. And too often people just, preachers too, water down the teachings of Jesus and want to explain them all away. And I think if, 
Anyone who doesn't recognize how radical Jesus was doesn't understand Jesus. So we can't just explain him away. He says to forgive not just seven times, 77 times. Where does this come from? Well, like almost all occasions when Jesus is speaking, Jesus is referring to a story or a moment in the scriptures of his time, what we call the Old Testament, what in a different form were the Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew Bible. And his followers would have instantly recognized the illusion he was making in a way that my guess is many, if not most of us, do not and did not when we heard that passage. Referring back to a moment in Genesis 4, where a man named Lamech, the son of Cain, Cain who's the original killer in the Bible. Lamech seems to have inherited some of his father's liking of violence or tendency to turn to violence to handle his feelings. Lamech brags to his wives that if someone hurts him, does harm to him, wounds him, he will exact all kinds of vengeance upon them. He says if Cain was avenged sevenfold, Lamech will avenge 77-fold. That's where the number comes from. And Jesus wants his followers to be as committed to forgiveness and mercy as Lamech was to vengeance and violence. But you say, after all this then, how are we anywhere other than where we started at the very beginning with Jesus saying, forgive, 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 forgive. Jesus tells us to forgive. Well, Jesus told Peter to forgive. Peter, who is in a, a particular person, in a particular position, in a particular community of faith. Peter says to him, if someone in the church, in the religious community, a community that was Jewish, would have had a rich understanding of repentance and what it meant in the work and repentance, if one of those people who shares those commitments in our committed community offends me, then I should grant them that. That's quite a different message. But even if you brush that aside and say, no, I'm insistent that Jesus insists that we always forgive. Consider this. What was Jesus? I, I don't mean, don't give me your theological answers. What was Jesus? He was a healer. Read the Gospels. He was first and foremost a healer. He was about making whole people and whole communities. He was also a builder, literally a builder, and more metaphorically, the builder of the kingdom of God. And like any good builder, Jesus knows when to employ the right tool. And the hammer is the right tool to use when you're driving a nail into a board. But when you turn the hammer to your coworker and you start pounding it upon their soft flesh, it ceases to become a hammer and starts to become a weapon. In the end, in the end, forgiveness is not the project. 
Forgiveness is the tool. It's a tool. It's meant to create whole people and whole communities. And insofar as it's useful in doing so, it's the right tool. But the moment it ceases to be doing that, and it starts to do harm to those, particularly those who have already been harmed, it's no longer the right tool. If a victim wants to offer forgiveness, that's their right. And the rest of us then should be about the work of accountability and change on their behalf. But when forgiveness is simplistically mandated, imposed upon others, it ceases to become a tool and starts to become a weapon. And you cannot build the kingdom of God with a weapon. I hope you stay with us so we can explore more values that we thought we understood. As always, we thank you for your generosity to Westminster, especially during these very difficult times. We do encourage you to continue to stay current with your pledge. Um, you can give in three ways. The three ways stay the same every week. You can write a check and send it into the church office. You can give via our give page on our website, and you can text to give. Thank you. Thank you for the many ways that you support the work and ministry of Westminster. I want to let you know about a couple of things that are coming up in a couple of weeks. We know that uh, many new folks have joined us over this past year virtually, worshiping with us and participating with us in many different ways. But sometimes it's a little hard to connect virtually. So Rob and I, on May 2nd, are offering a new member orientation. It will be on Zoom at 11.30. Um, and so if you're new to the Westminster community, if you're interested in learning more about the church, if you're interested in learning what it means to become a member of the church, join us. We'll have some information for you. We'll answer all of your questions. If you need the Zoom link, it's posted on our website, or just let one of us know and we can send it to you. On Tuesday, May 4th, uh, the Marin Interfaith Council invites you to an interfaith prayer breakfast. Now again, this is virtual, so you'll have to supply your own breakfast, uh, but from 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m., a wonderful time to be together with the interfaith community via Zoom with three wonderful speakers, each uh, speaking on the topic, where do we go from here? Uh, Pre-registration is, is required, so go to marinifc.org, Marin Interfaith Council, um, and there'll be more information and a registration link there. And now, will you join with me in our closing hymn?
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with us this day and every day. Amen. Thank you.